All right, Colossians chapter 4. Um, for those of you guys that don't know me, as Logan said, my name is Rick. I'm one of the pastors at Christ Place, and I stink and love you guys. Like, I just do. You don't know me, but I pray for you often. Logan and I talk about you every single week, and I just love what God's doing up here, and I really do believe you are a winner. And I believe that God's Word can absolutely change your life tonight. So we're going to open up the book of Colossians. We're finishing up a series. Hopefully you've been here. How many of you guys have been here for every message in Colossians? All right, great. Two of you. Awesome. The rest of you, we are so glad you're joining us. So the book of Colossians was written to the church at Colossae, and it was for a specific purpose. They were dealing with some people that were saying wrong things about Jesus. And so it's all about the supremacy of Christ, but we're getting to the end of the book. So today's passage is kind of the bye-bye passage. And I just want to tell y'all, it's not a sexy passage. I mean, it's a really important passage in the Bible, but it's not like, oh, that's a fun story. So y'all stay with me tonight because it is absolutely life-changing, though. So the, the big point of tonight's message is that Jesus changes everything. And I want you to know at the age that you're at right now, you are going through the biggest changes in a 10-year block of time that you will go through in your whole life. Do you realize that? I mean, you're coming out, a lot of you guys, you're probably between 15 and 25, right? If you're between 15 and 25, raise your hand. Yes, wow, pretty much all of you besides the old guys in the back. So when you were about 15, your body was changing. Pastor Rick, please don't make us go back to 15. That was a rough time. And it's like, man, everything's changing on you. It's, it's really frustrating, and you just want to get out of high school, and you want to get some keys, right? You want to be 16, 17, so you can drive and have some freedom. And then when you get that freedom, you have another change. You're like, I just can't wait to go to college, because college is where it's at. And then you get to college, and you start like, I want to. I want to get married, and I want a career, because this college thing, I mean, when you get to about your junior year, it's like, it's, it's for the birds, just for the kids. I'm kind of grown now. Some of you juniors and seniors are like, yeah, you get it, yeah. So then you get married, and then you start having children, and life is just a series of changes, and you pick that career, and then all, your, all of a sudden you're like, I wanted all these things. But, you know, college was really cool. And I kind of miss college. And that is the nature we have, but we're constantly changing. And there's these changes that go on in your life, but then there's another change. And it's not an age stage change, but it's the change that Jesus brings in your life. Have any of y'all experienced the change that Jesus brings in your life? You see, you go through all these life stages, but there's no greater change than when Jesus changes you from the inside out. Some of you, I was watching you worship tonight. You've been changed. Something happened in you. So when I was about 16 years old, I was a church kid, always in church. Mom made me go. I really didn't enjoy church. Like, I didn't want to be there. In fact, I absolutely hated it. And I hated the long services, and I hated the songs, and I hated when the preacher would preach. I just didn't want to be there. But then when I was 16, Jesus changed me from the inside out. And, you know, when Jesus changed you from the inside out, all of you, your want-tos changed. If any of y'all noticed that? All of a sudden, when I didn't want to go to church now, I couldn't wait to get to church. You know, before, I, I didn't want to read the Bible, and then all of a sudden, I couldn't get enough of the Bible. You know, before, I didn't really care about anybody but myself, but when Jesus came into my life, I cared about the people around me. You know, before, I, I couldn't give a rip of where people's souls went because I didn't care, but when Jesus came in, all of a sudden, I wanted my friends to know about the Jesus that had changed me. Now, some of you in here tonight, 
you've experienced that change. Because I was watching you worship. Like you couldn't wait to sing to Jesus. Others of you in here tonight, maybe you're just kind of guests or maybe you're just kind of a church kid and somebody invited you. Maybe a lot of you in here tonight, just because there's somebody of the opposite sex that you're like, you know, they go, so I don't know, you know, maybe I'll meet somebody. Listen, this phase of life is beautiful. It takes me back to 21 years ago when I was 19 and my sweet wife that's now, you know, the mother of my five children, she sang on the praise. Yeah, well, <laughs> can't keep that woman off of me. <laughs> Sorry, Logan. I don't come often. But I remember this phase of life. It was magic because there's all that electricity in the air when it comes to the opposite sex. And, and you guys, some of y'all are in here tonight just because you, you kind of have some electricity going on, you know. And, and you're feeling that on the inside. That's natural. See, it's natural for you to be sinful it's natural for you to be selfish. It's natural for you to not want to listen to the Bible. All those things are natural. What's supernatural is when God changes you from the inside. And you know you're changed because your want-to's changed. And so tonight as we're looking at this passage of Scripture, it's kind of like Paul saying uh, his last words to the church. So I don't know how you guys are, but every day I take my kids to school. You probably don't take your kids to school, but I have this beautiful van that makes people envious. It's like a homeschool van because I got all these kids, and I, I uh, <laughs> and I drop my middle schooler and high schooler off, and I always, I don't know if it's okay to say this, but I like to play 90s gangster rap when I drop them off <laughs> just because it's fun. You know, my son's like, God, quit it, and uh, I always say the same thing. I say to my middle school girls, I, stay, I say, stay away from drugs, alcohol, and boys, you know? And I tell my son, live for Jesus. And what I'm trying to say is that last thing, when they get out of the van, it's like, hey, I want you to remember this. And Paul's giving us some last words here. And again, it's stuff that's like, wow, okay, that's not a cool story, but it's the most important thing. So let's read the passage of Scripture, and then we'll dig into what it says. Here's what it says. Oh, Logan, I'm sorry, I forgot to set my timer. Logan said I couldn't preach too long tonight, so um, it doesn't count till now. All right. All right, Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 2. It says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of your time. Let your speech be always gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And then he gets to his final greetings here. Here's what he says. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts, and with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom I have received this instruction, as he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, 
uh, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and Nympha and the churches in the house. And when his letter has been read among you, have it also read to the church at Laodicea. And see that you also read the letter of Laod- from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you have fulfilled the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. All right, did any of y'all fall asleep? You see, it's kind of one of those passages like, well, Paul, this is kind of like, man, um, you're just talking to all these people. So, so, so what is he saying? Well, there's a few things I think he points out here tonight that I want you to see. Here they are. Here's the, here's the two big truths we're going to point out. Jesus changes your prayer life, and Jesus changes the way you interact with people. So Jesus changes your prayer life. Look at what he says in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer. So let me ask you a question. How's your prayer life? I mean, you guys like, are you getting up every morning at 3 a.m. and you spending two hours in prayer? No? Okay, me neither. Um, almost every Christian, if you ask them, hey, is your prayer life what it should be? They're like, no. So, so why don't we pray more? Paul says, hey, the very most important thing I can tell you, as you're getting out of the van, don't do drugs, stay away from boys, live for Jesus. He says, pray, pray. And he says, pray steadfastly. Now, probably you guys haven't used the word steadfastly in your language today, have you? Continue steadfastly, brother. You know, we don't really use that a whole lot. So what in the world does steadfastly mean? Well, it means continually. It means not quitting. He says in other books, he says, pray without ceasing. So he's saying you have a habit of prayer. So when we talk about having a habit of prayer, he means don't quit in prayer. So when you're not quitting in prayer, Jesus gives a couple of illustrations. Like, what does this look like? Well, Jesus gave this illustration of this widow woman who was very poor, but she wanted justice. And she wanted justice. And the only problem is she wanted justice from an evil, wicked judge. So you know what she did? She'd wait for that judge every day, and she'd say, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. And then the next day, she'd say, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. And the next day, she'd say, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. And this wicked judge, finally, guess what he did? He gave her justice. Not because he was a just judge, but because of her persistence. Jesus says that's how we're to pray. Because if an evil judge can grant justice, how much more would our godly heavenly righteous father grant us justice how much more would god answer our prayers jesus gives another illustration in the bible about a neighbor coming over to the house at night and so imagine if you're asleep at night it's 2 a.m and your dorm friend or wherever you live comes by and is knocking on your door and they say i need some bread and you're like bro are you serious right now it's two o'clock get out of here i'm not giving you any bread and then they came, boom, 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 boom. Bro, I am so hungry. Give me some bread. And you're like, I'm seriously about to smack you right now. Get out of my house. And they're like, okay. And then three minutes later, boom, 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 boom. Please give me some bread. Finally, you are so sick of them, and you just want to go to sleep. So what do you do? You give them bread. And so Jesus says, we're supposed to pray with the persistence that we continue on in our prayers, and we don't give up on our prayers. We're supposed to have that kind of prayer life that is consistent. So let me ask you, 
what does your prayer life look like? I mean, is it like, oh, I don't know, you know, before tests, it's like, Lord, please help me. I didn't study. I was out late last night. Or is it like, you know, you're falling asleep and I'm like, Lord, thank you for the missionaries. And you just kind of fall out. Listen, that's a lot of our prayer life. But Paul's saying there's nothing more important at the end of this letter that you pray. And, you know, I've been thinking about this in my own life. Um, if you don't pray, you're going to crash. You're just going to crash as a Christian. See, prayer to us and the reading of the scripture is to your spiritual life what food and air are to your physical life. So if you're not reading the word, that's like not eating physically. Eventually, you might look okay, but then you're going to die, okay? And prayer is like air to our lungs. If we aren't praying spiritually, we will die. So if you are not praying, you are dying on the vine and you are not growing spiritually. So I want to tell you about a crash I had in 2019. Um, so in 2019, something incredibly tragic happened in my life. One of my best friends, who was a little bit older than me, just dropped dead. He was uh, one of my pastor friends. His name was uh, Sterling Lynn. This was in 2019. He was a big-time hunter. I mean, big-time, avid outdoorsman, just um, super fit dude. And he went duck hunting one morning. And Sterling was like clockwork. He was always on time. And so the time he was supposed to come home, he didn't. So his wife called me, and she said, hey, Rick, Sterling hasn't come home yet. And I said, okay. Um, a couple hours later, he still hadn't come home. That was not like Sterling. So I knew where he hunted. And so this was a very cold January rainy day about nighttime. And myself and another one of our pastors, we went out to try to see if we could find Sterling. And sure enough, Sterling was there. He was dead. He was looking up. He was cold. He was gray. That's a shocker, right? Like, like if you find your best friend dead, Sterling went to be with Jesus. I don't think he suffered. He had ducks in his boat. The man was happy. Praise the Lord. But for me, all of a sudden, I'm dealing with some shock now in my life. And I don't know how most of you men are, but I'm one of those guys that I don't have stress. Like, I don't even think about stress. I don't, it's not a real thing for me, you know? I just kind of push stuff down and shove it down. Emotions aren't a real big thing for me. I just like the happy emotion. You know, you guys are winners. So I don't really do negative emotions well. Well, apparently, your body forces you to do negative emotions well. So if you don't do negative emotions, it will work itself out in other ways. So I started waking up at night in cold sweats, and my heart was beating really fast, and I'm anxious, and I'm like, Cheryl, I'm dying. I'm dying. My heart rate's up. She's checking my blood pressure. It's high. And she's like, uh, yeah, Rick, you're going to go see a doctor, because it started happening a lot, and I'm just terrified, waking up anxious. Any of y'all got anxiety issues? No? Okay, you're too anxious to raise your hand. It's cool. Um, so I went to the doctor. The doctor checked out my heart, checked out my blood pressure, and he said, um, Rick, you're you know, health is, is actually okay. I don't, I don't see anything wrong. He says, have you got anything stressful happen in your life? And I'm like, no, not really. And Cheryl's, my wife went with me. She's like, his best friend just died and he found him. And the doctor's like, well, you might need to go see a counselor, okay? And so I'm like, well, I don't, I'm a pastor. I counsel people. I don't do counselors. Like, I don't need a counselor. I'm, I am the counselor. What are you talking about? Like, counselors for weak people and I'm strong. I'm a man. I don't have emotions. Well, apparently the Lord broke me. God does that sometimes. And when God breaks us, you know what he's saying? Come here. Come here. You're broken. Can't fix yourself. So I went to see a Christian counselor, a guy named Vic Smith. And Vic started talking to me, and he gave me some biblical advice. And he said, Rick, 
our spiritual life is built on two pillars, the word of God and prayer. How are you doing in those things? Well, I'm a preacher, so I'm like word of God guy. Like, I love the Bible. I'm reading the Bible. I'm reading books all the time. If you guys are my friend, we're always talking about some kind of book. So I'm like, man, I'm crushing the word of God. Like, I wake up really early in the morning. I read the word of God. And, and Vic said, uh, he said, how's your prayer life? I'm like, well, I really like the idea of prayer. You know, I really like that idea. Prayer's real important. And he's like, well, are you praying? And I'm like, well, you know, I pray, yeah, every once in a while. And, you know, I came to the realization that I was really not spending time with God in prayer. Like, I like the idea of prayer. I prayed over the meal. I prayed for events. I prayed sometimes at home. But I did not have a steadfast, dedicated time to pray. Are y'all tracking with me? And so, you know what Vic said? He said, Rick, for uh, two weeks, I want you to pray for one hour solid every morning. I'm like, okay. Call me Martin Luther. I mean, I'll get down there and I'll pray. So I did. I'm going to tell you guys, game changer, game changer. God lifted the burdens because here's what, here's what prayer does. Prayer makes you realize you're not in charge. Remember, I'm a healthy guy in my 30s, uh, and I think I don't have any problems. Well, well all of a sudden, this anxiety says you're going to die because your friend died, and you got all these kids, and you got all these people that depend on you, and you're going to die, and fear says, ah! And I'm all knotted up, but when I take that to God, God reminds me through his spirit, I'm bigger than your fear. I, I can take care of your anxiety. Hey, Rick, you're really not in charge anyway. You think it's your gifts, and you think it's your talent, and you think it's your health. It's not. It's me. And so I'm going to give you the cheesiest line of the night, and Logan will appreciate this because it fits me, okay? Some of you guys... You're dealing with anxiety and stress and fear. Here's how I know, because your generation is all eat up with it. Because you're, you're in a generation that's different than, than my generation. Like, you grew up on tech, and tech's got you wadded up. Like, you're just twitching. Like, you, you got a crack phone. Like, some of you guys, you're struggling to be three minutes. It's like, oh, my Insta. Oh, you know. And it's like that dopamine hit all the time. And so you're constantly living in this fear and anxiety and stress, fear and anxiety and stress. And you think you need therapy. You ready for it, Logan? But what you really need is prayerapy. <laughs> you need to go see the counselor the Bible calls the Holy Spirit. You need to spend sessions every morning. Hey, it's cheesy, but you'll remember it. What did that guy say? I don't know. He was a dork, but prayerapy. I don't know what that means. But. Hey, but I'm telling you. The Holy Spirit reveals to you things. He heals your heart, and you have that relationship with God. Listen, when you're with your heavenly Father, can't nothing touch you. Do, do you remember, some of you, you, you've got a big, strong dad. And when you were a kid, I remember this as a kid. Anytime I was with my dad, could nothing touch me. My dad's the strongest guy. My dad's my superhero. Listen, you have a heavenly Father that says he'll never leave you or forsake you. You have a heavenly Father that when the Bible says Jesus died, there was this thing that happened in Jerusalem. There was this place called the Holy of Holies that could only go once a year that had this six-inch thick veil nobody could ever tear. Guess what happened when Jesus died? The Bible says it ripped from top to bottom. God was saying to people, you now have access to the Holy of Holies. You now have access to me. And listen, young uh, men and women, you have access to our Heavenly Father. You have access to to Jesus at any time 
You can pray, and the Bible says we're to pray steadfastly. That means we do it in a regular manner. So there's a few more things it says about prayer. Let me teach you some more things about prayer. He says to pray watchfully. Pray watchfully. What does that mean? It's like, do you keep your eyes open when you pray? Well, here's what it really means. It says to pray alert. It literally means to pray awake. To pray awake. Like, it's hard to pray when you're asleep, isn't it? But do you ever use prayer to help put you to sleep? There's a couple stories in the Bible where Jesus was about to die, and his disciples were with him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus was praying, and he was praying in such a way, the Bible says he was sweating drops of blood. And he says, hey, boys, you're my best friends. Can you just pray with me for an hour? Guess what the boys did? They started praying, and they did what I promise you I would have done. They fell asleep. And Jesus says, guys, guys, tomorrow I'm going to die. Get up, wake up, watch and pray, watch and pray. Guess what happens? He goes back and prays. He comes back. Where are the boys? They're out. They're asleep. Third time it happens, Jesus says, get up, it's time to go. And they couldn't watch and pray for just a small amount of time. That other word picture in the Bible is from the book of Ezekiel when he talks about a watchman on the wall. Now, some of you have seen some Lord of the Rings movies or you've seen some of those movies from olden days where they got the big, you know, wall and, and, and the enemies coming. Do you know what the watchman on the wall's job was? To always watch for the enemy. And when the enemy came, what did the watchman do? Yeah, like Paul Revere, you know, running through the towns. The enemy's coming, the enemy's coming. Here's what the Bible says in uh, Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 16. And at the end of seven days, the, Lord, uh, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor you speak to warn the wicked from his wicked ways in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity. But listen to this, church. But his blood I will require of your hand. So, so what the scripture is saying there is like, Ezekiel, if you see something, if I show you something and you don't warn the people, then their blood is on your hands. And so the Bible here says we're to be watchful in prayer. In other words, when you pray, you know what God does? He reveals to you things that you would not see if you were looking on your phone. Okay? Um, when you're looking on your phone, what does it do? Again, you got your crack addiction. It's like, you know, those reels are like three seconds. And the algorithms, you know, fashion to your brain of whatever you really like. And it's like, choom, choom, choom. You can't know God's will if you're looking at reels. Right? But when you're diving deep into prayer, God pulls the blinders off your eyes, and you start seeing the spiritual realities around you. There's a story in the book of Kings that uh, there's this prophet named Elijah, and they're surrounded by these armies, and they're about to be defeated, and the king is, is very, very afraid. And so Elijah says, Lord, reveal Take the veil from his eyes and show him what's going on. And all of a sudden, God opened the king's eyes and he could see the spiritual realities around him. That There were flaming angels with swords. And it's like, okay, we're okay. Everything looks terrible, but when you can see the spiritual realities, you see, maybe I'm okay. And so when you spend time in prayer, God pulls the veil back from your eyes of this worldly life you're living in. He says, you're going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. And so there's this watchman. He says, pray watchfully. 
Then he says, pray with gratitude. He says, with thanksgiving. So let me ask you this. Are you a thankful person? So the, the basis of your prayer life should always be thanksgiving. So when you pray thankfully, there's a little acronym that I've used for years. Maybe Logan's already taught you guys this. You're like, well, how do I pray, Pastor Rick? Because I just run out of things to say. I say the same things every time. The acronym is P-R-A-Y. P, praise. That's your thanksgiving. You start out with praise, thanksgiving. And so I would encourage you this week, tomorrow, could you take five minutes and write down 100 things you're thankful for? You say, I don't have 100 things I'm thankful for. Start writing, big boy. You'll find out. Lord, thank you that I still have hair. Lord, thank you that I can breathe. Lord, thank you that my hands work. Lord, thank you for water. Lord, thank you that we have light in this building. Lord, thank you that it's fall and the leaves are dying and they're beautiful. Lord, thank you that that girl last night, she smiled at me for the first time. Lord, thank you that I got to sing songs to you. Lord, thank you for your Bible today. I get to read your Bible. Lord, thank you for my mama. My mama's so sweet to me and she's going to make an apple pie at Thanksgiving. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. And when you start a spirit of gratitude, you start writing things down, here's what you're going to realize. You're way more blessed than you should be stressed. I mean, you've got so many things that God has given you. He's been so good to you. But you know what lots of times our mind does? All of our problems. We see all the problems. But what prayer does when we have gratitude, it makes us see all the things the Lord has given us. You know the difference in a, a, a vulture and a hummingbird flying over the desert? A vulture's looking for rotting, dead meat. A hummingbird, he only sees flowers because that's what he's looking for. You know, if you have a spirit of gratitude, you're constantly looking for the blessings of God in your life, then you're going to be a person that has a lot of joy in their life. But if you're a person that's a, a Debbie Downer or a Dan Downer, then you're constantly going to be seeing all the things that are wrong. And so he says you're to pray with a spirit of gratitude that God has been so good to you. Let me give you a little illustration of this. My children... When they are grateful to me as a father, you know what I want to do? Give them more. Like when they're great, when they're like, Daddy, thank you so much. Daddy, you're the best daddy ever. Daddy, I'm just so thankful for, you know, everything you've given me. You know what I want to do? I'm like, I like you, child. I'm going to buy you more stuff. But the moment they stop being grateful, they turn into little gremlins. You know, there's something. Y'all watch now. It's going to happen to you when you have children. Children have a disease called the It's Never Enough. And I'm going to get a t-shirt. Steve's back there nodding. He's got the children the same age as mine. And no matter what you give them, you go to Disney, you spend $10 billion. You buy them a $47 Coke. You wait in the line for 300 hours. You know, you buy them a Disney ears and everything. And they're tired and whooped. And they're like, oh, you didn't give me this. It's never enough. Sometimes I think God's looking at us like, it's never enough. So here's what I do with my kids lots of times when they get that way. I'll buy them a Happy Meal from McDonald's, and then something will happen. I'll reach over, and I'll grab a fry. You know what the children will say? It's my fry. You know what I do? That's a fun dad moment. Guys, write this down. One day you're going to need it. I'll take the whole Happy Meal from them, and I'll say, I bought this Happy Meal. How dare you think, how dare you think that this is yours? Every good gift you have, little child, it comes from the hand of your loving father. And you know what? All of a sudden, I'm sorry, Daddy. Can I have my Happy Meal back? Can you have whose Happy Meal back? Can I have your Happy Meal back? 
Yes, you will, but I'm taking some of them fries. <laughs> Listen, that's a silly illustration, but we act that way towards God. God, it's, excuse me, it's, it's my gift set. Lord, I'm beautiful because I'm beautiful. You know, this beautiful face, it's because of me. This gift set, it's mine. This smart brain that I have that makes these good grades, that's mine. And God's like, excuse me, every good and perfect gift is from above. Everything you have, you ungrateful little child, you think it's from you. Big boy, big girl, there ain't nothing good in you. The only thing you have that's good in your life is from Jesus. And Paul's saying, look, you pray with a spirit of thanksgiving and gratitude. Hey, Thanksgiving's coming up soon, so write your list tomorrow of 100 things you're thankful for. It's not going to take you long. And then finally, he says, pray for others. He says, pray for others. So he says, uh, at the beginning of the book of Colossians, when, when Logan was teaching you this, Paul said something. He said, I'm praying for you. And now at the end of the book, he says, pray for me. Pray for me. Do you know we should ask each other for prayer? You know, there's nothing more humbling when somebody prays for you. I want to teach you something to do. If somebody ever says to you, will you pray for my mama? Or will you pray for my aunt? Or will you pray for my cousin who's got cancer? Or you pray for the salvation? Here's what I want you to do. You ready? You're going to learn something. It's a pastor trick. It's not a trick. It's the real deal. You stop and pray for him. Most people faint. It's like, wait, you mean now? You mean now? Yeah, let's pray. And one of the most humbling things you can do, one of the most honoring things you can do is lift somebody else up to the Lord. And one of the hardest things to do is say, hey, I need you to pray for me. And Paul's saying, hey, church, can you pray for me? And the crazy thing was, Paul's in prison right now. If I'm Paul and I'm in prison, it'd be like, hey, can you pray that I would get out of prison? Paul didn't say that. Paul said, would you pray that doors would be open, that the gospel could be preached? So, so he wasn't saying change my circumstance. He's saying, I am nothing. The message is everything. Pray that the message goes out because whether the messenger is dead or alive, the message is what changes lives. So we're going to do something real quick here, okay? We're going to pray for each other. So I want you to take about three minutes, and I want you to talk to the person beside you, and I want you to say, how can I pray for you today? And then I want you to pray. If you don't have any friends and you're a weirdo and nobody wants to pray with you, you can come pray with me. If you're really weird, go pray in the back with Logan, okay? All right, so three minutes. Listen, here's what I want us to do, too. I want us to do something. I want you all to pray out loud, and I want you to hear the prayers of God's saints rising to the Lord. Three minutes. Pray for the person beside you. Jesus, we just pray right now, Lord, that we would be grateful people. Lord, what a joy it is to pray for one another. We're joy it is to have people that love us and care about us enough to lift up our needs to you. We love you. Ask this in your name. Amen. Okay, a few more things. Y'all are doing great. I only have a few minutes left before Logan kicks me off the stage. So let me tell you a few more things. One, I forgot to tell you the rest of the acronym for P-R-A-Y. P, praise. R, repent. Repent. God, show me what is wicked in me. That I can turn away from it. God, help me know. Let me tell you how to, how to pray prayers of repentance. Pray through the Ten Commandments. Write down the Ten Commandments. You pray through the Ten Commandments, and the Lord will convict you that you are a breaker of pretty much everyone on every day. You're like, I ain't murdered anybody. Jesus said, if you had hatred in your heart for your brother or sister, then guess what? You're the same as a murderer in your heart. 
been gossiping about anybody? Anyway, repent. A, ask. Praise, repent, ask. What's on your heart? Paul says we're supposed to ask here for open doors for the gospel. Listen, the purpose of all of your lives is to get the gospel to the world, to see people's lives changed, to see people's lives saved. You have different gifts, but the same purpose, the Great Commission. And so Paul says, even though I'm in chains and my circumstances are bad, I'm asking, Lord, that the gospel would continue to go out. So you're asking God, whatever's on your heart, if it's your grandma's tumor, pray for it. If it's a, you know, a spouse, he says, pray for open doors. Some of y'all are praying tonight like, Lord, open a door. Lord, please help me have a conversation with her. And she might say no. <laughs> she might need to. Pray for open doors. So praise, repent, ask. The why, yield. Yield. That just means you shut up and listen. That's the hardest part of praying. To be quiet before the Lord. Ask the Lord to speak to you. You know, it's really helpful to read your Bible before you do that. Because anytime somebody says, God, God said to me, if they don't quote a scripture behind that, my yellow flag goes up. Woo, woo, weirdo, weirdo. God typically doesn't speak to you apart from his word. So read your Bible first, and when you yield to God, he will bring the word back to you and show you how you're supposed to live that out. We get the acronym? We're good? All right, we're moving on. All right, so the second part of this message is that Jesus changes the way we love people. So he says, you got to pray for me. But then there's two groups of people he talks about here. We're going to cover these quickly. There's outsiders and insiders. Outsiders and insiders. So you, you look at the outs, outsiders here. Here's what he says. He says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Making the best use of your time, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So he says, Lord, he says, uh, church at Colossae, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Listen, church, outsiders, what does that mean? Here's what it means. Everybody didn't go to heaven. Everybody's not part of God's family. There's people you know that don't follow Jesus. The Bible calls those outsiders. The church, those that are part of the body of Christ, those are the insiders. So so do we treat outsiders like outcasts? No. He says to walk in wisdom towards outsiders and let your grace, let your speech be gracious as those seasoned with salt. So what does that mean? It means that you live differently than outsiders because you're an ambassador for Christ. Did you hear me? So, so here's what it means. It means when I tell my kids in the day, I say, look, I do one of those dad things. I'm like, you're a Herman. I need you to act like a Herman. Now, what does that mean? It means I want you to not be an idiot. You know, I want, you to, I want you to do your schoolwork. I want you to be kind to the other kids. I want you to act like Jesus would want you to act. So we, as Christians, if you are a Christ follower, you are an ambassador for Christ, you represent Jesus in how you act. Do you look like Jesus? Because here's what I know. Most college students, they don't act like Jesus. They act like they want what the world has instead of being different than the world. You act like you're searching for the same things that the lost world wants. Gold, girls, glory, guys, glory, gold. You want those things instead of living a life that's different. You say, hey, Pastor Rick, how do I live a life that's different? Here you go. You ready? Your life looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Any church kids? What's the last one? Self-control, <laughs> joy, peace, patience. Okay. Your life is marked by the fruit of the Spirit. So in college, 
when your boys and girls are out there, you know, partying and drinking it up and sexing it up and doing all those things that college students do, do you know how they know you're a Christian? You don't do those kinds of things. Because you're not looking for your joy in the world. You're looking for your joy in the Lord. And when you're different, guess what happens? People notice. And there's what I call turd Christians. And then there's good Jesus representatives. The turd Christians are like, I don't do those kinds of things that you do. Sinner on your way to hell. You know? They look down on people. But the real Jesus follower, they don't ostracize those outsiders. They say, man, I, I, I love you, and yeah, I live different, but it's because Jesus changed my life, and I'm, I'm full of, uh, like, the Lord, and if there's any way I could help you, I would. Like, you're not a jerk. You know what I'm talking about? Like, here's the thing about Jesus. Sinners flocked to him. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus never sinned. But sinners wanted to be around him because he was so full of love. And he cared about them. And so as Christians, lots of times we think we cut ourselves out of the world and we live in our separate Christian bubbles. But Jesus says, I don't want to take them out of the world, but I want you to sanctify them while they're in the world. So we're in the world, but we live differently. We walk in wisdom. When you do that, people are going to say, what in the heck is different about you? And then you get to tell them about their, your Jesus. Because remember where we started? There ain't nothing good in you. If there's anything good in you, you know where it came from? Jesus. If there's anything good in me, I'm not a winner unless Jesus is in me. And so he says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. And then he says, speak in wisdom towards outsiders. So, so in your actions, but also in your words. He says, let your speech be gracious as though seasoned with salt. Now, here's the thing about salt. If you don't have food with salt, it's very bland, right? It's no good. But you know what else you can do, Mac? You can oversalt your food. And then it's salty. Some of y'all salty Christians. And what he's saying is, hey, add flavor to life. Be gracious in your speech. So being gracious, again, it doesn't mean that you have to get in an argument with every unbeliever about the apologetics of the resurrection of Jesus. There might be a time for that when people genuinely are asking. But when you're a keyboard warrior and you've got to get in an argument in class to show that you know more than that person, that's not the love of Jesus. And let me tell you something. I'm a kind of old guy now. You never argue anybody into the kingdom of God. But your love is what changes their lives. And then we have a reason for the hope that is within us, and we share the gospel in a way that can change their lives. So towards outsiders, hey, you have to constantly remind yourself, those non-Christians are not the enemy. They're the mission field. Like, that's why we live, to see people that are far from Jesus get the same love and grace that we've received through Jesus. Y'all get that? Like, the people that you go to school with, probably the ones that irk you the most, Maybe they need Jesus the most. You know, I tell my kids this all the time. Like, the jerks at school, the ones that are the biggest jerks, they got the deepest pain. And we say this a lot. Hurt people hurt people. And that's the truth. And so you're to live in a way among outsiders that draws them to Christ. And then finally, the very last thing here, and Logan, I'm done. He says, 
Don't forget the insiders. So you see the rest of the passage is all these names. You know, don't forget Epaphras. Don't forget this guy. Don't forget this person. And, and the lady that has the church in her house. Here's what he's saying. Honor. Show honor to the leaders of the church. Show honor to your Christian brothers and sisters. So, so you don't ever forget Logan and Aaliyah. Well, they pour their lives out every week for you guys. You take the time to say, Logan, thank you for preaching the word. You take the time to say, Aaliyah, thank you for being married to Logan. I don't know if anybody else would. You take the time to say to the singers and the worship leaders, hey, thank you every week for, for giving up your time. Most of them are all volunteers. They come up here hours early to serve you and to help you worship Jesus. You remember the church because the church, listen, we're not just like, Speakers and singers on the stage, we're people, you're people, we have names, and we're one person at a time, and we absolutely love God's church. We're family, and Paul's saying, look, your family, don't forget your family. All right, so real simple message tonight, pray, pray. So if you could have a takeaway, how's your prayer life? You need a place, you need a time, and you need a space to pray. So you need a place you need a place that's a sacred place for you, and you need a time. I would really recommend first thing in the morning. Let me tell you something I did that changed my prayer life a long time ago. I put a, uh, a prayer board up, cork board, where I pray. And I put all these prayer needs on it, and I just sit there, and I start looking at that board, and I start praying, and the Lord just works in my life. But you need somewhere to pray, and then you need a specific way to pray. You know, that prayer acronym is very helpful. So, so listen, you need some prayer up in your life. You need some prayer up And then finally, hey, outsiders, live in a way that brings them to Christ. Insiders, remember how gracious God is to give you brothers and sisters that love you and will pray for you. Hey, tonight, we're going to end in prayer. And uh, I just want you guys to know at Christ's place, we flat love y'all. We flat love you. And we want you to grow in your relationship with the Lord. If there's any ever way... I can help you. I would love to do that. Let me pray over you. I think we're going to sing some more because the troop's coming up here, and, um, and we'll be done for tonight. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Colossians. Thank you that Jesus is supreme over all. Thank you that you've rescued us from the domain of darkness and, Lord, transferred us into your glorious kingdom. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you that Jesus is all we need, that you are sufficient for all of our needs. Thank you that we have brothers and sisters that we can pray for one another. Lord, thank you that your Holy Spirit ministers to us and heals our hearts when we're anxious and broken and afraid. Lord, thank you that you answer our prayers. We love you, Jesus. As we sing final song, Lord, pray that you would be honored and glorified. I pray that we would worship you with all of our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen.